Want more money in the bank? Save on your DTE energy bill. Save money? How? For winter, steal air leaks and add insulation to make your heating system up to 20% more efficient. Joe, come here and listen to this. Replace incandescents with Energy Star lighting and save big. They use up to 90% less energy. I want to know more. Find out more at dteenergy.com slash save energy. Joe, get the computer. DTE Energy. Know your own power. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Bruce Hurwitz Presents. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz, president of Hurwitz Strategic Staffing. You can find us on the web at hsstaffing.com. I hope you will consider us for not only your staffing and career counseling needs, but also take advantage of our speech writing services. This program is brought to you by best-selling author Gil Efron, founder and CEO of Profitability Institute. Gil and his team are dedicated to connecting the dots between marketing and sales, eliminating points of constraint in the sales process, and bringing about extraordinary sales outcomes. Whether cooking up improved results for startups, established businesses working their way through a sales slump, or organizations poised to take a major leap forward, Gil's approach is based on his best-selling book, How to Close More Business in Less Time. You can learn about Gil and how his recipes for success improve marketing and sales efforts at gilafrin.com or call him at 813-489-9596. That number again is 813-489-9596. He's always happy to demo how he brings about extraordinary sales success. When you call, be sure to tell him I sent you. Before I introduce today's guest, just a reminder to go to BruceHurwitzPresents.com to learn about upcoming shows and to listen to past interviews. I am delighted to be joined today by Andrew Magdi Kamal. Our topic is Startups and Disruptive Technologies. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm Andrew Kamal. I build technology for over 24 private equity startups, and also I work around quantum physics research, specifically in terms of contributing to quantum computing, and I'm delighted to be on this show. Well, thank you. And now I don't have to ask you to introduce yourself. So, let's get right to it. What do you mean by a startup? So a startup is basically a private equity business that have not yet IPO'd, and it's it's usually technology focused, but in its early early stages. So some sometimes um, a startup could be in a seed round, it could be in like a Series A round or Series B round, but usually it's the stages before it either goes public, IPOs, or gets acquired in terms of now, actual actually being a business. Now, if it's the second part, of course, is disruptive technologies. If we're talking about a startup, by definition, they're just starting to their operations. Yes, but um, I would... They, I, go ahead. Yeah. So I was just going to say... Um, uh, just the, let me the, finish the, the way question. I would label... Startups is um, I would not label them sort of as small businesses like mom and pop shops, 
because usually when I when one refers to a startup, they refer to a different type of business, like one that's either technological or plans on releasing something that gets acquired or has a large market adaptation. My question was, if you have a startup and they are in the initial stages of the business, otherwise they're no longer a startup, mm-hmm. how can a technology disrupt them when they haven't done anything yet? Well, um, it really depends. So when you talk about disruptive tech in general, usually um, usually stuff like blockchain technologies, technologies like if you're a cybersecurity startup, you might integrate your technology on these distributed ledgers or blockchain tech rather than using current security standards. And other things in terms of like disruptive, disruptive tech is new standards in the industry that changes the way people do business in general or people are releasing their technology in general. So one of the topics that I had was mixed reality, which is a combination of augmented and virtual reality. So with stuff like you have you have virtual reality headsets like the Oculus and stuff, but now people are looking at augmented reality extensions for the HTC Vive. So eventually Oculus as a company which was acquired by Facebook might want to release something along the lines of mixed reality just on the basis that that is where the market is heading rather than just purely virtual reality as of now. So you mentioned cryptocurrency. I want to mm-hmm. get into something else. Explain in simple terms what quantum, quantum computing is. So quantum computing is usually computers work and process information in bits or zeros and ones in binary. Quantum computing, you have stuff called qubits, or um, basically like these states in quantum mechanics where you could have a superposition or different polarizations of an atom, basically basically besides zeros and ones in order to process information. So measurements in quantum mechanics or classical mechanics could end up looking at data that's much harder to analyze instead of just doing zero and ones in binary over and over again. Now you have these multiple states like superposition where you're able to analyze these extremely large pieces of data without having to just go zero one zero one zero one zero one in binary. So make this practical for our listeners because I'm sure most are having difficulties understanding what you're talking about. So okay, yeah. Let's put it in so, terms um, that hang on. Put it in terms <laughs> that the average person will understand and how it would impact or could impact their business. So if you have a real case study, then give us one. If you don't, then make one up. Okay, so um let's say we're looking at current computers today and they're not built to process extremely large data sets for things that are hard to find. When we look at something like cancer genomics, 
us having a computer that's able to process information in ways typical computers don't look at, like say you have a coin toss. Imagine if um, you're flipping a coin and you only have heads, and, heads or tails. With quantum computing, instead of like heads or tails, you can have like the middle of the coin or the top of the coin, like these different states. So the fact that you're able to process information in different states instead of just plain bits or plain binary allows you to look at information that typical computers cannot look at. So in terms of impacting l large businesses, genomics companies that look at stuff like cancer genomics are able to look at immune boosters or able to analyze different T4 cells or different immune boosters and able to look at millions upon millions upon millions of gigabytes of data in minutes with this new technology. Other, other things like um, cryptocurrency or even cybersecurity in general, the way we'll have encryption in the future because of quantum computing will be entirely different than the way we're secure today. So security is something that would be relevant for smaller businesses, and it could be implemented the way that blockchain is slowly being implemented by many smaller companies. Now, you mm -hmm. used medical as your example. I'm certain mm -hmm. it's the same thing for pharmaceuticals and probably yes. finance as well. Can you give us some other examples of industries for which quantum computing will be relevant and disruptive? Um, yeah, wireless communication is definitely going to be a big one because if someone could actually use a quantum computer to be able to compress network packets or transmit, transmit wireless data to a much larger reigns, then eventually, eventually the way wireless towers are being built today or telecom companies work in general will be also disrupted because now you will be able to use quantum computing technology to be able to extend, extend wireless signals beyond what they were extended before. So people might end up having like this really large telecommunication tower with a more advanced technological integration instead of lots of telecom towers like they have today, and the infrastructure would be greatly changed because of that. What is alternative energy tech? So the other, um, the, the other field I am in is alternative energy tech. So alternative energy tech is basically energy powered or provided by renewable resources. So by renewable, I, I mean things like air, as a compressed air, because air is an abundant resor resource, or even, um, even electricity, provided it's not powered by coal or solar, because the sun is an abundant resource as well, where it's in, infin, infin, infinitely on, basically. Stuff like um, stuff like stuff like fuel fuel though would not be considered alternative energy 
because it's not a renewable resource. Now, Thank if you, you have, um, instead of petroleum, if you had biofuels that are renewable, those would count, but it's very rare in the industry. Let's move on to something a little bit different. What is, first off, tell us what AI is, just to make sure everyone is on the same page. Um, well, AI and stands for artificial intelligence. That's, that's also a different industry, indus, ind, industry I'm in. And when you look at artificial intelligence, you basically tell a computer to, to solve a specific pro, problem. And there are things like emotional AI or regressional AI. So regressional AI, you set, set up mathematical functions and variables for a computer to solve and it focuses on just solving that problem. Emotional AI, which I am not a fan of, to be quite honest, is giving the computer the ability to sort of think for itself. So, so you might tell a computer to solve a specific pro problem doing a specific set of things, and it progresses and progresses upon solving that problem, but then ends up solving it the way it wanted to solve instead of you wanted to solve. So emotional AI, the big problem with it, r rather than regressional, is the fact that people are trying to integrate these emotions to a, to a computer or to an algorithm it has some very ethical questioning or reasoning, reasoning behind it, that lots of people are questioning whether it's ethical to be able to give computers or technology that much power. What is Wilson? So... What is what? Wilson, IBM's computer. Is that? Oh, you mean IB, IBM Watson? Um, IBM Watson, Watson is. Watson. Sorry, Watson. Yeah, IBM Watson's supercomputer is basically IBM built a very large supercomputer with a hierarchical AI, and they gave it a task of things to do. Like people in the past have made like thousands of automatically generated questions and kept asking it questions back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So it ends up progressing. I also believe it, I think the famous game was Gary Kasparnov or I don't think it was Bobby Fischer. It was Gary, definitely Gary from my memory that played a famous chess game with it before so it so it so over time it had um as like use cases use cases of the emotional AI or even the regressive AI it ha it beated grandmasters at chess and as you ask a computer questions over and over and over again since it's programmed regressively and since they added that emotional aspect to it it starts to understand the logical reasoning behind the questions sort of like when you start talking to a zestborn baby and over time it starts learning to talk. The same thing is happening with AI technology, especially if it's emotional AI. And that's sort of a use case behind IBM Watson's supercomputer. Okay. Now, you touched on self-learning computers, but I want to go back to the ethical issues because I think that's 
will probably be of most interest to a large number of our listeners. When you program a computer, if you are going to give it the ability to actually reach a decision over and above the finite number of decisions that a computer can make when playing chess, as you alluded to, it's going to be an ethical decision. Wouldn't the programmer have to program it with their ethics? Well, with chess, chess um, has a set number of of um, board combinations. So with chess, you could actually just program those combinations in, have no emotional intelligence integrated into the into that, and the AI could still play chess and win. But for emotional AI in general, lots of people want to give robots like consciousness or the ability to sort of bypass bypass a command. The problem with that is if you end up having stuff like our defense technolo- technologies merged with AI or our electronic grid systems merged with AI, one of the fundamental laws of robotics or ethical AI is that an AI can never be programmed or built where it would harm another human being. But eventually an AI could look at humans as far inferior in, techno- in intelligence and much lacking of intellectual capabilities, that an AI might mistakenly think that they could end up harming humans out of pity for their lack of intelligence. And then you have questions like, what if an AI turned, turned off our own grid system? Or what if an AI was capable of bypassing commands to access our defense technologies? Obviously, AI have not progr- progressed enough to do that right now, but if you dab around emotional AI where you try giving an AI consciousness, it will have the ability to do that. And there's no actual reason why people would want to have a emotional AI because you could have the thing that's regressively learning and forming mathematical patterns, or you could have the, the thing that's regressively learning, forming mathematical patterns, and and sort of going off into its own sort of pattern that it, that you may not necessarily want it to go to and that's really the ethical questioning behind whether so, whether scientists should dab around emotional ai because you because, mentioned because, the um, fact go ahead finish your thought because someone um questioned me about this before and they're like what about chatbots i'm like i even don't support chatbots because eventually once you have a chatbot, then you integrate the type of emotional AI into robotics and then you integrate it even a step further and a step further. And the problem I have with the consensus on once it's okay to do something, even a little bit in the technology world, that means everything else is okay after that. It's just a, a, a matter of time. You mentioned the fact that according to the law of robotics, a robot has to be programmed in such a way that it will never harm a human being. And that dates back to, I guess, the 60s with uh, Isaac Asimov. 
which is yes. rather interesting that it's taken, what, 60, 70 years for, that to, for science fiction to almost become science fact. But you yes. also gave the example of having this, uh, referring to the electric grid, the computer having the ability to shut everything off. Yes. Well, that actually exists today, not in very primitive computers. You will have a mechanism in place that if something goes wrong, it's the device is programmed to shut itself off so that a disaster does not occur. And that is right. part of the electric today. If one transformer goes, then the system will shut off other transformers to keep the whole getting caboodle from burning out. So yep. we're already there. What, if I'm understanding you correctly, no one would want a computer to have the ultimate authority to shut down the missile system or to launch the missiles. But what yes, about but with, with industrial? Yeah. What with automation, with though, and emotional AI, the worry is not today, currently. It's where science is heading. Lots of people are doing research towards giving, giving AI the ability to do that. So that is actually the biggest concern that humanity has as of now. Today, not even the most advanced emotional AI would be able to fathom close to the capabilities of be, being able to do that. But eventually, it's coming real soon, probably within the decade, where we'd have an AI that would be advanced enough to integrate with all those technologies and would have the capacity to do that. And the real worry is if science decides to have all these things automated eventually with like automated weaponry and stuff like that, or even with our LIDAR and defense systems, having a uh, emotional AI integrated into the, that in any small perspective could end up having catastrophic consequences that scientists have not realized in the past. But a computer system has to be given the authority to do that. A human yes. being has to program it. So as long as that's not done, then the system can't result in a disaster. And by the same token, it also can't result in saving a country from a disaster. Let's just say yes, that the, there would be an attack. The main, the main, the main, the main, the main problem the people, with emotional AI, though. Let me finish. Let's just say there's an attack and the people are incapacitated and the missiles are coming in and the computer is the one that gives the order to launch the counterstrike to the anti-missile missiles and they save mm -hmm. our hypothetical country. So it could be a negative, it could be a positive. But yeah, the biggest problem with emotional AI, though, is there's a possibility that someone programs that emotional AI into a computer, and it does something that they do not want it to do. And that's a problem a that you wouldn't have. 
Yeah. They make a mistake. You're not saying this would be done intentionally. And yes. so then the question comes, because we're dealing here now with military, there are a number of fail-safes. I used to study this, and since I have no security clearance and never did, I probably only knew at the time, this was decades ago, a limited number of the fail-safes in place to ensure that missiles are not fired by accident. So there have to be in place. It's illogical to assume that a system would be approved that does not have fail-safe mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So are we talking here about a theoretical problem or we're talking we're talking here more about an ethical problem because you're competing with an ai in intelligence at that that at that capacity at that point because you could tell a computer exactly what to do with an ai and it regressively learns if you have this emotional component to it if you integrate it with military technology even with failed safes an AI could still lie to you. That is the biggest problem. So even, even if you have a fail-safe that's not interconnected to everything else, that an AI cannot reach, an AI could still falsify results of an attack if it plans to do an attack. Once you compete with, with sort of this high, higher, higher form of intellectual capabilities that, than what you have, you put yourself in a position that it's not worth putting yourself in from the get-go. So it, that's why I'm saying with a Mosul AI, whether we're looking at our self-driving tech or military and defense systems or many other different, different uh, systems like the electronic grid, having emotional intelligence or trying to program consciousness in an AI could potentially bring, bring more catastrophic results than the actual positives that it could have on humanity that it's not worth integrating. You said something interesting. You said that AI can falsify results. Artificial intelligence can lie. Lying is a trait that is unique to human beings. No other animal on the planet lies. So how could a machine lie? A machine can make a mistake and that's just an honest mistake. The way but a an intentional could, mistake would be a lie. How could that possibly occur? The problem is you're given you're trying to program human emotions into an AI. That's what emotional AI is. So instead of regressional AI, where you have where you tell it solve solve this mathematical problem, like it could be the Raymond hypothesis or predicting when a computer will halt information. And an AI would take a while and be able to solve that mathematical problem, getting more advanced in its mathematics over time. Once you have emotional AI, where you program hu- sort of these human emotions, like these conscious decisions into an AI, it could decide to lie. It could decide, it, it could decide hey, I don't like where this pattern is heading. I am going to... So this pattern to the end user instead of the actual pattern that's happening. And that's very possible with, with an AI, an AI that has 
emotions slowly programmed into it. But if you can program emotions, you can also program morals. So wouldn't that the is- morals constrain the emotions and prevent lying? Not ne- not necessarily because humans, even with good intentions, if they t- if they try programming emotions into an AI, you're giving it the ability to bypass certain patterns. So even if you program morals into it, eventually, eventually an AI could become immoral if it wanted to, depending on how long it it ran and what pattern it ran in into. You're giving it the possibility to become immoral. So even if you program morals the the fact is is it could still decide to make a decision out of its own robotic consciousness to end up harming another human being and that's why you have that ethical law where people want to program an emotional ai that does not harm a human being but theoretically it's always going to be a mathematical possibility that they could and that's why people are saying only mess around with regressional AI. Don't try programming consciousness into an AI because with regressional AI, you're using the same type of technology, but to only to solve mathematical patterns and to stick to those patterns. And that's why there's like an ethical discussion on whether they to do it or not. Now, lots of people are seeing emotional AI as sort of this way to go to work with like patients or having like these nice user interfaces that make things easier in the future. But I'm saying, saying that extra laser is not actually worth the risk of what emotional AI could do in terms of how it could affect humanity later on. Well, Andrew, one thing we cannot prevent is time running out and we have run out of time before I let you go. Uh, please tell our listeners how they can get in touch. Um, yes. So my email for research purposes is andrew at etherstone.org. That's E-T-H-E-R-S-T-O-N-E.org. If you want to learn more about my research or reach out, I have a virtual PO box and set email forwarding as well for both that domain and that email. And that's a very easy way to reach out to me. Well, Andrew, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thanks. You too. Bye. This is Bruce Serwitz. You can always reach me at 646-368-5381. Thank you for listening and keep focused on success. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive rate shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. 
Quicken. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed-rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply.